A modern day parable is told about a life-saving station on a dangerous coastline where shipwrecks often occurred. The building was just a very small old hut and there was one old rowboat and a few devoted members who kept watch over the sea. They'd go out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. As people were saved, they wanted to support this station and they gave their time and their money to support its work. New boats were bought and new crews were trained. The little life-saving station grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so small and so poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided for those who were saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and they put in better furniture and they made the building bigger. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. They furnished it beautifully and they started holding all sorts of events there and it became sort of a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to see themselves so they hired professionals. Professional lifeboat crews were specially trained to save lives. About that time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet and half-drowned people. They were dirty, injured and bleeding. They cried and shivered and dripped all over the lovely carpet. What were they to do? What were they to do with all these people? So, the property committee of the life-saving station called an emergency meeting and decided to build a shower block outside of the club where victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up and properly, properly instructed in the ways of the lifeguard station. At the next meeting, there was angst, as the club, uh, angst amongst the club's membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal activities of the club. Other members, however, insisted that the life-saving was the primary purpose of the club. They pointed out, we're still called a life-saving station, aren't we? But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives, they could start their own life-saving station down the coast. They did. As years went by, the new life-saving station experienced exactly the same sorts of changes that, as the first one. And yet another life-saving station was founded. And history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that coastline today, you'll find a number of beautiful clubs along the seashore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. Now, I'm going to be brutally honest and say that for most Christians, including myself, who are looking for a church, well, actually, we're looking more for a club. And I can say that because I see that in myself. We look for a nice atmosphere, we look for friendly people, we, we look for people who are much like ourselves, we look for fun activities and a pleasant speaker to listen to, preferably not for too long, uh, sorry folks, no such luck today. Quality music's a big thing. Now all of that's a generalisation, but I think it's a fair one. Now with Bush Disciples, we've started mission into the bush. 
Our most visible presence is, is the gatherings that we hold on Sundays to hear God's word, to pray together and praise. Last Sunday was a particularly big day. Um, I've, I just felt God saying, well, you've got gifts, use them. And we, I've just looked at, okay, well, where can we do stuff? And, and we've just made a start. Now, my wife said to me, Michael, you can't hope to get all that done in one day. Did Michael listen to Robin? No, no, Michael did not listen to Robin. Uh, so we had 9am at Westmar, 2.30pm at Bolin and 6pm at Dirranbandi, 560 kilometre round trip. Now, by halfway through the day, I'd already made the decision, never again. And I'd started thinking, now, how am I going to tell this to my wife without her saying, so that would make me... Yeah, because that sort of thing tends to happen... Um, now, we had a few people um, giving wonderful support at Westmar. I got a couple of people giving some wonderful support at Bolin. But what I found, uh, the problem wasn't the travel, like travel doesn't make me tired and stuff. The trouble was I was finding we were having to get away too soon and having to cut fellowship short. And I, I just believe fellowship between Christians is probably one of the most important parts of our Christian growth. Um, and I knew that by the time I got to Deeran that I'd be pretty much on my own because I wasn't going to have any helpers there. I'd have to try and do the music myself and do all the setting up myself. And so as I drove between Bolin and Deeran, has anyone travelled that road before? Yeah, you guys have. Dodging the potholes and the kangaroos and the sheep and the goats and the pigs and the emus. Um, I was thinking to myself, when I get to Deeran, I'm going to have to tell these folk that this is the only month that I'll get to them because I, I just can't fit it in. I'm, I'm going to burn out. I just can't keep it up. But at 6pm, as the people started to arrive, some of them, the most unlikely looking candidates, people who'd responded because the flyer had gone out, um, one of them at least, I think, probably never set foot in a church in his life, I don't know, but... And I saw these people come and some people just really needing Christian fellowship, really needing some teaching about Jesus, um, some people really hurt, hurting and, and needing comfort and building up and needing prayer. My, my heart was just filled with compassion and I said to them, look, I actually came here today and by the time I got here I was ready to tell you guys I can't come back. But now that I'm with you I can just see you need in Jesus. Um, I just realised that this really meant a lot to these people. And I knew I didn't need to give up. I needed help. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And there that night, I'd begun to see these people the way that Jesus sees them. In this community, right here in St George, and in the community surrounding, there are a heap of people out there who are like sheep without a shepherd. They are lost and they need to be led to Jesus. Now some of these people know a little bit about Jesus, but most of them are very far from him. But these are the very people who move Jesus to compassion. And I've been moved to compassion too. When you realise that without Jesus, 
these people are lost, you can't help but be moved to compassion for them. Now it was Jesus who said, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. And for me last Sunday that really rang true. The harvest is plentiful. You know, way too often we sort of think and believe the harvest is sparse. You know, like out there, the harvest is sparse. It's not worth putting in the effort here. But Jesus says the harvest is what? Plentiful. So if Jesus is saying the harvest is plentiful but we're saying, oh, the harvest is sparse, which one is it? Well, if Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, then plentiful the harvest is. But why can't we see the fruit of that? Why does the harvest seem so meagre? What's missing? It's like we've got a great big paddock of wheat there and you know that there's heaps of, the harvest is plentiful, but the truck, it's just not carting anything out of the paddock. What's going on? The harvest is plentiful, but there's nothing. We need a few headers to fill the trucks. Why does the harvest seem so meagre? What's missing? I'll tell you what's missing. Workers. And Jesus' solution is prayer. We need to see the need, be moved with compassion and pray. Verse 38 says, Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. Late last year I carted onions from Blenheim Farm just there near the town dump out to the Moon Rocks packing shed. And things started out pretty slow because there's only a few onions ready but gradually more and more onions would ripen and the bosses there would look and go, right, we're going to need more harvesters. They'd put out the call and sure enough, more harvesters would turn up. And then a few days later, the harvesters need to ramp up a bit more. We need more harvesters. They'd put out the call again and more harvesters would turn up until if you go there at four o'clock in the morning when I was starting to cut onions, you'd turn up there and you'd see all these little dots of light all over the paddock because they've all got their little headlamps on hand-picking onions. The paddocks were full of harvesters. All they had to do was ask. Do you do that in your prayer time? Can you see the need for God's mission in your local community? Can you see it? Yeah? Somebody's nodding. Jan can see it. Can anyone else see the need for people to hear about Jesus in their local community? Yeah. Does it make you grieve? The people that God loves are on the highway to hell because they don't know any better. Does that make you sad? Can you see the need for workers in the harvest field? Not too many of us here are are, um, farmer farmers, but there's a few. But you who are farmers know as much as me about harvesting. If your cotton crop's bigger than normal, you prepare for it. 
If you, if you know you don't have enough harvesting capacity and you're not going to get it off in time, then you organise for a contractor to come and give a hand. Even more so when you're harvesting wheat. Because um, when the crop's ready, you can't leave it there. You've got to get it off. So when the wheat crop is plentiful, if you realise, I need another header, then you get on the phone and you organise a contractor to come. You plan for it. Now why are we who are so wise with things of business and of financial import so tardy then when it comes to the harvest of souls? I'll tell you why. It's because we're not moved by compassion. See people the way Jesus sees them and all of a sudden the harvest of souls becomes urgent. And so I've started praying, Lord, please send workers out into your harvest field. There's a few, but this district needs more. There's a few, but many of those workers have, have grown tired and feel alone. You know, the saddest thing that I've discovered in the last few weeks is that some places in this district around here, Christians have given up. They've tried so hard for so long but they've been all alone. And I've had people actually say to me, listen Michael, don't bother come and try and start anything in our community. It's just not worth it. Nobody will respond. We've been trying for years and nothing will happen. It just made me really sad. Will you pray with me? Will you pray that the Lord will send his workers out into the harvest field? Will you? Yeah. I want to see some hands. If you will commit to pray that the Lord will send workers out into the harvest field. There's a few prayers amongst us. Good. Because you're the answer to that prayer. We Christians have become like a life-saving station who want to pay professionals to do God's work for him. You see, when I... When I ask you to pray uh, that the Lord will send out workers into his harvest field, it's not that big a ask, is it? And I know that for some folk we'll be thinking, eh, okay, well, in town, gee, we're really short on ministers at the moment. If we can get a few more ministers and priests and stuff into the community, then, yeah, that'll fill the, fill the gaps and they can get on with mission again. Wrong answer. Now, I hope you realise that when the New Testament was written, they didn't put in chapter and verse numbers and they didn't put in little headings that we tend to divide our Bibles up with. The Bible reading, the Bible that I had up on the screen there for the Bible reading is the NIV. That's the one I usually put up. Now, it actually makes a big mistake by leaving out one word, and. In the Greek there's a word chi and this word joins sentences together. And yet in our, in, in our Bibles the start of chapter 10 begins with the word chi and yet we've made it not only a new chapter but it's also got a new heading for it in, the, in most versions that we read. And I don't know if you noticed there, but at the very start of chapter 10, I put the word and in big bold letters with the brackets around it. 
And of course, in proper English, we never start a sentence with the word and. Um, and so it's been dropped. And this is how it actually goes. Now, I've just started three sentences with the word and. For those of you who are pedantic, that will really annoy you, but it's important because this sentence starts with the word and. Jesus is saying at the end of chapter 9, pray that the Lord will send the labourers out into the field. Then chapter 10, verse 1, and you're it. Now that's a summary. That's a, that's a summary of the whole of chapter 10, you're, and you're it. Okay? So that would have saved Rosie a lot of reading. Um, he's saying pray for more labourers and... I'm commissioning you as labourers. Pray for more harvesters and I'm sending you out as harvesters and this was what harvesting is going to be like for you. Oh. Now some of you agreed that you're going to pray with me for more harvesters. Uh, Are you so keen now that you find that the answer to that prayer is sitting right here in this room? Are you so keen about it now? Pray for more labourers and Jesus is sending us out as labourers in his harvest fields. Now that's a very bit, bit tricky of Jesus um, and a bit tricky of me to point that out as well. Um, you see, we're all called to pray for missionaries but as disciples of Jesus Christ we are all called to be on mission. Every disciple of Jesus Christ is called to be on mission. Oh, but Michael, that's not my gift. Really. As disciples, we are commanded to go and be witnesses to Christ. That's all of us. You see, only you can be a witness to what Jesus has done for you. Only you can be a witness to the hope that you have in Jesus. It doesn't say that everyone has to be a preacher. It doesn't say that everyone must be gifted in evangelism. But all disciples must be witnesses. If all you know about Jesus is you love him, well that's all you've got to share. That's all you have to be witness to. You don't have to be a witness beyond what you don't know And you think about what a witness is for in a court of law. What do they tell? They tell what they do know. Why are they there as witnesses? Because they are the ones best qualified. Because they have been there. They have experienced it. And you, as a witness for Christ, you have experienced Christ in your life in some way. Share what you know about Christ. Share what you've experienced about Christ. And don't go beyond that. Because that would be expecting you to operate outside of your gifts. Now, does that sound scary? No. Oh, well, I can stop now. It's scary for me. Jesus said, Fear not, therefore. Most of us are scared of being witnesses. But we don't have to be scared because we're precious to Jesus. You are precious to Jesus. And He's going to look after you. And then he continues in verse 32, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, that's witnessing, right? I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven, that's reward. 
But whoever denies me before men, that's piking out. Uh, do you South Africans know what piking out means? It means, it means not doing something that you should be responsible for. Chickening out, yes, that's it, that's chickening out. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but that sounds bad to me. So the question is, am I an acknowledger of Jesus? Am I a witness to Jesus out in the world? Or am I a chicken, a piker? Because we're either witnesses to what we do know about Jesus or we are not. Be witnesses. Now, that reading we had, it, for, for me to do justice to it, we'd have to have probably five messages on it. But I just want to just give you a few points about mission as we go. Firstly, mission is crucial. A church not involved in mission is a club. Mission needs to be modelled by its leaders, that's where I've failed in the past. But mission is crucial for all disciples. Secondly, mission is shared. It's not something you do on your own. You do it together. Michael Green says one of the main reasons for burnout in Christian ministry is that it is generally carried out solo. Jesus never envisaged such a thing. Leadership in the New Testament is almost always plural. And there's something wonderful about going out on mission together. You can pray together before you go out. You can encourage one another along the way. You can encourage one another in your gifts. You can help each other to discover how God might be able to use you better. Uh, you can support one another and, and together you can pray for the people who you've just been witnesses to. I know it's, it's just been wonderful for me, I can't even speak for myself, but as we've gone to these various places in, in different communities and, and usually we've had passengers along with us in the car who are coming to be a part of what we're doing out on mission. It's just been wonderful to have this time of fellowship together. Mission is shared. And I need to learn that. Thirdly, mission is sustained. Disciples of Jesus are called to a life of mission. Not just a couple of days a year or not just a one-off mission trip somewhere far away. Mission may include these things. But mission itself is to be sustained. It is to be a way of life. You're on mission every day of your life as you go out into the world. Fourthly, mission is multifaceted. That means it'll involve a whole lot of different stuff. It involves witnessing, uh, it involves sharing the word of God, it involves caring, healing, bringing spiritual freedom. Fifthly, mission is strategic. When Jesus gave this one particular command to go out on mission, he said, uh, don't go to the Gentiles. But later on he said to them, now go to the Gentiles. There is a time and a place for us to be at a certain time. So mission is strategic.
Sixthly, mission is demanding. And this is probably the reason most of us don't do it. Mission will cost. It'll cost you financially, it'll cost you physically. There is a time cost, there is an image cost, there is a commitment cost. Discipleship is not the easy road. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I preached on the cost of discipleship. Um, So we don't need to go over that right now. But why would we do it if it's so costly? Because the final point, mission is all about Jesus. That's why we go out on mission. It's because of Jesus. Jesus cares, therefore we care. Jesus bore the cost of his mission, therefore we do too. The message that we have to give is that the kingdom of heaven is near. What that's really saying is Jesus is near. Jesus came as your saviour. Jesus is coming again as your judge. Jesus came to heal and so we heal in Jesus' name. Jesus came as the God of love and we love in Jesus' name. Mission is all about Jesus, even right down to the point that when we go out, we're sent out by Jesus. We go out in the name of Jesus and through his Holy Spirit we go equipped by Jesus. Mission. I haven't seen anyone walk out. (laughs) I thought it might chase a few of you away. Um, If you've come to Bush Disciples to find a place where you can just sit back, put your feet up and have church done to you, you're in the wrong spot. But if you've come to Bush Disciples with a desire for honest teaching on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, well, I am obligated to tell you that discipleship must include mission. Folks, our mission is right here. Right here in this town. Right here in this district. And Jesus is saying, give it a go. Well, I failed in the past by not leading by example and this time I'm making an effort not to do that. And I'm giving it a go. Will you give it a go with me? I'm not asking you to be a super apostle getting to visit every single person in the district. I'm not asking you to go and preach long theological treaties on salvation and I'm not asking you to do it alone. What I am asking is for you to make a start, to give it a go. Now if you don't get anywhere with someone, if a town doesn't listen to you, Jesus said, shake the dust off your feet as you leave that town. Now the problem is most of us have got no dust on our feet because we haven't given it a go yet. And we just go, oh, I'm only going to have to dust the dust off my feet. Uh, it'd be easier not just, just not to get them dirty in the first place. But then he says, and then go to the next one. Get the dust on your feet again. Well, I'm going to give it a, 
I might have to dust the dust off my feet a few times, but I'm going to give it a jolly good go first. So how do we do it? It's all very good and nice for me to stand up here today and say, brother, the labourers are few, pray for the Lord of the harvest field, send workers out into the harvest field. By the way, you lot and me, we're it. Go to it. And you're all going to go, yeah, right. So how? Well, mission begins at home. Be witnesses in your own community. How about you start with your neighbours or a few doors down? Don't just stick to your close circle of friends. You see, Jesus sent his disciples out and he sends us out too. Secondly, I'm going to ask you to get involved not just in your own district but I'm going to ask that you will choose one other spot where we're ministering with Bush Disciples and to put some time in there. The biggest needs that I can see are Thallon, Westmar, Bolan and Virenbandi. These are all very small gatherings. And what I'm asking for is a commitment to say, hey, I could make it to church in one of those other districts each month. So just pick one and become a regular at that spot to attend a monthly Bush Disciple service. Now that helps bolster numbers a bit, but it's more so being there to be a witness to Christ. Now you'd be amazed at the difference that it makes to people just to have others turn up. Um, We've got a wonderful number of folk here today. It's a wonderful atmosphere of Christians coming together, worshipping God together. Some of these places we might only have two locals turn up. All you have to do is turn up and worship God together with these people, together with the locals, have smoko with them afterwards and have a yarn with them afterwards. Fellowship between Christians is powerful. Those guys who came with us out to Westmar the other day, how was that? Was that alright? Yeah, that's valuable. People coming out, making the effort to come to another district to mix with, with the Christians in the community, you are a real encouragement to them. There's a third step, um, but we might not be up to that yet. We don't jump out and instantly become experts on mission. We need to work together on this. Um, But later on I might be asking that when you've chosen a district to make a commitment to and go into church in that district, I might then ask you to give God one day a month to just go and visit people in that area and be witnesses to Christ. Now we'd organise it that you're not doing it on your own but, and you would just take with you a very simple message. I know Jesus, I love him and he's told me to tell this district that his kingdom is near. That's, that's the message that Jesus told us to take out there. That's all you have to be able to share with people. You say, Jesus, I love him and his kingdom is near. And if people show interest, I'll talk with them more. 
invite them along to a, to a service or, or a Bible study or something. But if that don't show any interest, well, that's fine. Thank them for their time and move on. But we'll leave that for way down the track. I believe Jesus has a plan for country folk to be witnesses to other country folk. You see, you guys, you know what it's like to live in the bush. You know the challenges that face farmers. You know tyrannies of distance. You know you've experienced it all. Who better to share with people how Jesus fits into that kind of life structure? It would be pointless getting a team of missionaries to come from the city out here when we've got people who are just right for the job right here, right now. So I guess what I'm asking at the moment is for you to become witnesses in your own community and to make a commitment, yeah, I'm willing to pick one of these other services and become a regular worshipper there just to help mix with that community and to be a witness for Jesus in that way. That's what I'm asking. And what I'm asking is that you'd go home and pray about it and you'd talk with your husband or wife about it and say, hey, could we do this? Could we be a part of this? I'm not sending anyone out alone. This is something I want to do together. Bush Disciples isn't just another service being provided. It is a call to radical obedience to God's command of mission. Now, if you're anything like me, I suspect that about now um, there's a bit of a spiritual battle going on inside of you. Uh, It's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Um, It's a battle between the new man and the old man. And the flesh is probably saying, you know, you leave that up to to other people who know what they're doing. Don't you bother going doing that. Uh, You're too busy. It's saying, don't kid yourself, you're no missionary. The flesh is saying, you've got other responsibilities, your business, your job, your church, your family. Basically, the flesh is saying, no way. If you ignore him for long enough, it'll be gone. Uh, Next month will be another message and it won't come up again. Yeah, that's what the flesh is saying. Is anybody's flesh saying anything like that? I'm seeing a few grimaces. But I also suspect that the Spirit's got a word in there as well and your tummy's given a bit of a churn in anticipation of what a community of mobilised Christians could look like in this area where Christians actually go out and sharing the message of the gospel in this district. Do you have any sense of excitement in you there? So, wow, what could God do if all of us actually did do this? Well, if so, that's the Spirit saying, give it a go. Give it a go. Um, most of you, has anyone been listening to the messages online at all? No? For those that didn't catch up with us last week, the message was God calls nobodies. You know, we tend to think that it's 
the important people, the influential people, the, the wealthy people, the business people, whatever. It's, it's the somebodies that God calls. And I said last week that you know, I actually toyed with the idea of calling this the church for nobodies. Because God calls nobodies. He has a habit of doing that. And God uses nobodies. God uses people just like us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is so often confronting and challenging to us. And Lord, I personally find this message to go out and be a harvester, to tell people about Jesus. Lord, I find that really, really confronting. But Lord, you've commanded it. And Father, I pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would move us to compassion, to give us hearts of compassion, just like Jesus has hearts of compa- heart of compassion. Lord, help us to see the people around us the way that you see them. And then, Lord, as we're moved with compassion, move us then, Lord, to mission. Pray this in Jesus' name.